Welcome to the Empathic Mastery Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Moore, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where we talk about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, how this impacts all aspects of our lives, and we explore tools, resources, and solutions so we can shift from absorbing all the thoughts, feelings, and energy of the world around us to being beacons for calm, love, and healing. Hey there, everybody. I am, I always say this, but I am so excited to have my guest Lauren Fonville with me today. I actually met Lauren a while ago in an EFT training. And Lauren is one of those people that you know, absolutely loves tapping as much as I do. And so when Lauren reached out to me about doing this interview, I was really excited to be able to have a conversation with her, both about being highly sensitive and empathic and about her relationship with EFT and what she, how it really has changed her life. I imagine she has a story different than mine, but similar to mine about how it really changed her life. But also one of the things that makes Lauren's story really interesting is that she discovered EFT right around the time that her husband was being deployed again. And so I've never had a conversation about what it means to be the partner or spouse of somebody in the military and to be highly sensitive and empathic. So I'm really excited about the conversation we get to have today. So Lauren, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, so glad. So I actually haven't really told anybody much about you. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. So I am an integrative energy coach, which means that I use a variety of healing modalities when I when I work with my clients. And I really specialize in using EFT to help people with anxiety, stress and chronic pain to feel better. And I got into it because of my own my own journey, which we'll be talking about today. Awesome. Awesome. And while I'm imagining many of the listeners know what EFT is, since I am also such a proponent for it, I'd actually love to hear what, how would you define EFT? Like for people who are just brand new and coming into this, tell us yeah, about EFT. Sure. So EFT stands for the emotional freedom technique. And it's this process of gently tapping on certain points of the body while simultaneously acknowledging the emotions that you are feeling, really holding space for where you are. And in doing so, it can help to reduce anxiety and stress. I mean, it can help with a whole variety of, of conditions, um, but it helps to calm the nervous system. It's a process to really help regulate your nervous system so that you can feel calmer in your body. And when you feel calmer in your body, you can think more clearly and you can make better decisions. So it's a, it's a really a, a tool to help you find freedom from your emotions, really. That's, that's mm-hmm. what it's all about. Mm-hmm. As well as sometimes freedom from our thoughts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Lauren, obviously this is the Empathic Mastery Show and I, you know, and and you were you identify as somebody who's highly sensitive. Tell us a little bit about like that part of it. Like you're kind of like how did you know you were highly sensitive? When did you start having the experience or really feeling the impact of being being probably an outlier? I think that goes way back to childhood and being told, you know, 
you're too sensitive. <laughs> like how many times I heard that or, you know, I, I cried a lot. Um, I, you know, and it didn't, it didn't take much to make me cry. And um, back then it was something that I was embarrassed of. And I think along, along the journey, I have come to realize that being sensitive is really a is really my superpower. Um, but yeah, it goes way back to, to being a kid and, and just feeling things really deeply and not knowing that everybody didn't, didn't feel that way. Yes. Well, and you just bring up something really, really important here about not knowing that everybody doesn't feel this way. Because I think one of the things about being a highly sensitive, empathic person is that we're feeling other people's feelings that a lot of times they're not feeling. And I think that we kind of imagine, because we are feeling all the stuff that's going on, that this is the way everybody else is operating. And I know for me, it was quite the discovery to realize that like, I'm, you know, that not everybody has this experience. So yeah, yeah. And I think for me, when I really started to realize that was probably around the same time that I went on this whole journey of, of self-discovery. And, you know, I, my, my whole thing started when, when we, as you alluded to with finding out that my husband was going to deploy again. Now we had done two deployments before that, this third one. Um, but this third one, really came out of left field. He at that time he had moved into the reserves and I was under the misguided illusion that that he was not going to be deployed like that wasn't even a possibility in my mind. So whereas the other deployments I knew about them, I could prepare for them and this one it was just like, "Oh, you've been selected. Oh, you're going," you know. And at that time too, I had we had two young kids. And so there was this whole additional pressure of being like, "Oh, wow. Now now it's not just that he's leaving, but he's leaving me and them, and now I have to be responsible not just for myself, but for these little people." And almost immediately I started having panic attacks. And I knew that I had to do something like, and so the first thing that I did was go to the doctor, right? <laughs> you start feeling bad, you go to the doctor. And the doctor gave me meds. And I did not like the way that the meds made me feel. And so and I'm not, and I'm not against meds by any means. But I wanted, I wanted to see I hadn't tried anything else. So I wanted to see if there was something else that I could do. And I made this deal with myself that I was going to try for a month to figure something else out. And if I was still feeling really bad, I'd go back to the doctor and try something else. And so I found myself going to yoga. And we had recently moved. So this was a new yoga studio. And when I walked into the yoga studio, there was a flyer for yoga teacher training. And I just felt that that was there. I was there in that moment. I was seeing that for a reason. I had contemplated doing yoga teacher training on and off over the years. And I just thought, that's what I need to do. Like, I need to do this for myself. And that was the first step. And so that put me in a space where I was around people who were, you know, open to energy work. And, and that's, that then led to getting Reiki certified and ultimately doing a uh, coaching program where I was then introduced to EFT. And, you know, you were talking about, about the I, I mean, you brought something up, which is kind of a tangent in the story, but I think it's actually something really, really important, which is how frequently 
if we are feeling these things, we go to our health professional and they hand us an anti-anxiety medication. And I hear you. I, I know some people who do use anti-anxiety medications and it really makes a huge difference. And I am of, the, I am personally also of the belief of like, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to dismedication. Like I think that there is a place in the world for pharmaceuticals and that there are times where we just need a leg up. And I can also really relate to it not really working. You know, I also just really do not like the way that these things make me feel, especially after a day or two, because a lot of times if it's something that's designed to calm your nervous system down, I go from I go from anxious to okay for a day and then like crashing into depression like a few days later. So I know for myself that it was never a particularly effective long term solution. And it sounds like that was true for you as well. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I knew, and I knew that I had to do something. Doing nothing wasn't an option because I had these two little people that were relying on me. And that was really my motivation of knowing that I needed to show up as my best self for them. And so, um, that flyer, that flyer was a godsend and I signed up right on the spot so that I couldn't, I couldn't back out of it. And it felt like it was meant to be because it started the weekend after he left and, you know, the logistics of all of it was complicated, but I didn't even let that stop me because the the calling was so strong because I don't have any family here. We had just moved to a new area. I didn't have any friends. I didn't know who was going to take care of my kids. And I, I was like, I, I'm going to figure it out. Like, I'm going to figure it out and I need to do this. And I'm so glad that I did. Well, and I really love how you were talking about, you just got this really strong instinct. You got this call to do this training. and you didn't have any idea how it was going to happen, but you, you followed your gut, you followed your instinct and you listened to that. Now, I, I'm just curious, you mentioned that you had just moved. So did you guys move as a result of your husband's deployment or had you guys moved and then discovered he was going to be deployed? Yeah. So no, we, we moved from Virginia to Delaware. And at that time, um, he was in the, in the reserves. So I had, I did not, I did not know we, he didn't know either that we, he was going to deploy. Um, yeah. So moving and then having that come up shortly after the move was just like, <laughs> it was a doozy. <laughs> was I, a, yeah. And how old were your children? Um, my kids were five and seven at the time. Oh my God. So you have, you have like, like early, early elementary school age children with, um, and you've just moved into a new location. So you're in the position of you're completely uprooted. You have no family around you to help you. And you're trying to get your roots settled, you know, set your roots down, find your way, settle in, sort of start a whole new life, which is stressful enough. And then all of a sudden, it's like on top of it, bam, your husband is like, hey, honey, guess what? They want me to leave you now. I can't even imagine. Yeah, it was a lot. It was it was a lot. And I remember... Uh, yeah, I remember the anxiety in, you know, leading because there's all sorts of stages when you're talking about deployment, you know, the leading up to the pre-deployment phase. And then the when once he once he leaves and kind of settling in and the deployment phase. And I just remember I remember one night shortly after he left, 
I woke up in the middle of the night having a panic attack. And, you know, I'm trying to talk myself through it and, and do some deep breathing. And then suddenly my daughter like appears in the in the doorway. And I was just so happy that she was there, you know. And so she came she came running in. I don't know. She I don't know if she woke up in the middle of the night or something. And um, she came into my bed and she just like held my hand and we both fell back asleep. And, and I was able to really like sink my breathing to her breathing and it helped to calm me down and um, get back to feeling okay and being able to fall back asleep. But yeah, it was a, it was a tough, (laughs) it was a tough time. Yeah, it really sounds like it. And I'm really thinking about, you know, what it must be like, I can imagine that being the spouse of um, somebody in the military, no matter who it is, that it is a stressful thing. I imagine it's very similar to being married to somebody who's like in law enforcement that, you know, or even or in like a fire, you know, fire service or something, but like something where you've got some really legitimate reasons for being concerned. But then add being, you know, highly sensitive and empathic to that. And I imagine that that adds a whole other level of intensity to it. So I couldn't watch the news. Like that was like, no. a period I just could not. I mean, I still don't really watch the news, you know, and my husband doesn't understand that. Um, but I'm like, I just can't, like, I can't, I can't take, take all of that on. And, and, you know, I think I, he, he understands more now as I've, you know, uh, taught him, educated him on, on being sensitive. But, you know, I think it's, I think it is hard for people that are not sensitive to grasp what it is like to be someone who is highly sensitive, just because it's the complete opposite of their yes, experience, yes. you know? Well, and when somebody's just like, well, just get over it, just suck it up, just stop thinking about it. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times that I've been told in my life, just just let it go. Just don't worry about it. Stop thinking about it. And it's like, it doesn't work that way for some of us. Like once, we, you know, once, once we've started going down that rabbit hole, it's kind of like you really have to back the truck up in a way that they just don't because... Like it's, it's just a completely different, what, what might feel like a minor groove to them feels like a cavern to us. All right. No, that's, that's exactly it. Like if something, I just, it makes me think of like a time something happened to a friend and I was just like, so devastated for my friend, you know, and my husband, he just didn't get it. He's like, doesn't affect you. Like, why are you letting it upset you so much? Doesn't affect you. I'm like, but it does affect me, you know, like I'm feeling it. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Well, and I just want to comment about watching the news. And what I the way I think of it at this point in time is I think of it as I curate my media exposure. And I'm very mindful of what I am exposed to. I also really do believe that if there is something important, it generally finds its way to me. And so I know about the major current events. And if there's like something I need to do research on, like an election or something, I will put my, I will make a point of, of checking that out. But I'm very mindful of not just watching the news for the sake of watching the news. Because, oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm a hundred percent the same way. I mean, the other day I went to the, I went to the doctor for a mammogram and I'm sitting there waiting, you know, waiting to go back. And there's women in there that are clearly going through chemotherapy, right? So it's, you know, kind of an anxiety inducing environment to be in. And then they've got this news channel on mm. that's like talking about, shootings and I'm like oh I'm just sitting there tapping you know (laughs) oh my gosh like this is not it's just not helpful (laughs) not helpful at all 
Yeah. And it's really interesting, the places that tend to have the news channels on, like, I remember, I remember, uh, like car dealerships, and particularly like car mechanics, like VIP or something like that to get like an oil change. And it's like, you've got the news and generally like Fox News just blaring in the background. And, and also, yeah, like I've been in emergency room, like you're in the emergency room, waiting room department, or you're in like a critical care unit at the hospital and they've got this ghastly news blaring <laughs> terrible and people are so stressed out already and then on top of it you've got this you've got this information and i you know i'm not saying that i think that it's a good idea to bury our heads in the sand but i do think it's really important to be mindful of how we consume it and even just thinking about like when i was a child you know the paper was delivered in the morning and um you know, was either delivered in the morning or the evening, or if you were really extreme, you'd get the morning paper and the evening paper. I think we generally got the evening paper, but like news was on in the morning, news was on at evening, and then news was there was like the late night news. But there were three periods of the day where you could catch the news, and there were two periods of the day where the newspaper would come in. And it was a limited exposure to that information. Whereas, you know, the whole 24 seven news phenomenon that we've got going on now, that didn't even exist when I was a little kid. And I'm imagining that you probably like had that experience of like being younger, like when you were a kid, I don't imagine that it was constant the way that it is now. Yeah. No, definitely. It wasn't, it wasn't as constant as it is now for sure. <laughs> so yeah, it's definitely important to limit, limit your exposure or be mindful of, of the exposure because a lot of the time it impacts you and you don't even realize how much it impacts you. You know, like I think about my dad who does have the news on all the time and, you know, he gets upset with me because I, you know, he'll ask me about something. I'm like, I, you know, I didn't know. And but I, I see how it impacts him. You know, he doesn't acknowledge how it impacts him, but you know, he gets, he gets so frust frustrated or angry and I can sense it. I'm like, just turn it off. Like I can't, I can't listen to this right now. Well, and I personally, I was back many years ago, I was, I would listen to NPR on my drive into work and I was heading to go work with clients and to, to do tattooing with them. And I would listen to Democracy Now! that was, was a, a very, very interesting program by, that Amy Goodman hosts. But it was always about like injustices and things that were going wrong and things like she would do like these deep dives, like a journalistic deep dive on a particular topic. But it was always about stuff that was just like, oh my God, that is so wrong. And I decided after listening for, I don't know, maybe, maybe about a year, it took me a while, but it took, you know, that every time that I was getting angrier and angrier when I was, by the time I got to work, which was really not conducive to the kind of work that I was doing for people. And so I realized that I needed to not be listening to this thing that was just getting me all riled up and agitated right before I was going to be basically laying hands on people and doing healing work with them. And so it wasn't that I necessarily was like, I'm never going to watch this thing as much as it was like, I just really need to be mindful of the timing of this and how it's affecting the way I'm behaving in the world. So 
No, as we I were totally, talking about yeah. your dad being agitated, I can mm-hmm. really relate. Yeah, I mean, because obviously it's important to stay educated and know what's happening in the world and all of that, but not letting it like impact your your day to day. Right, right. So I want to talk a little bit more about just you know what it is to be an empathic military wife, and you know like. Because, and I also wonder or think about like the line between like premonition and, um, and just sort of an anxiety in terms of like having a sense of like him not necessarily being safe. Like, I'm curious, like, is, is my, is what I know I'm not framing this as a question necessarily, but I'm just wondering, like, what did you have experiences where something felt off, something felt out of sorts, where you could feel something, and then you got confirmation that indeed there was something going on? Like, let's talk I mean, about it that. D- you saying that like makes me think of one particular time where he, I knew that he was going to be traveling to another country while he was over there, and you know, it wasn't a great country to be in, and he was supposed to contact me and I hadn't heard from him. And so that was very anxiety inducing. And, um, and you know, you go down, you go down one of those, those paths of like, what if, where you play things out in your mind, um, which is not helpful. Right? No, no, I call it awfulizing. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. That's a great way of putting it. Awfulizing. I did some awfulizing that night. You know, I didn't sleep much because I was supposed to hear from him and I had, and this deployment was different than the others because technology had come such a long way. So I was able to be in more communication with him. And this time he was, um, he was in the past deployments. He was on a ship this time he was on land. So, and, and, you know, we were able, he was able to have a phone, which he wasn't able to have on previous deployments. So I was getting used to regular communication with him. And then when I didn't hear from him, when I'm texting him, you know, yeah, I would have, I would have really bad anxiety. And luckily it was never, it was never accurate. It was never like anything was like really wrong. He was busy or he got pulled into meetings and, or he was in a building where he, that was a secure building where he couldn't bring his phone in that sort of thing. But, you know, and if I was told that in advance, then I'm like, okay. But when I'm expecting a text and I don't get one, and I tried to explain that, you know, like, um, that that really causes me to go in a direction that I don't want to go mentally. And um, yeah, so, you know, opportunity to work on communication skills. And sometimes, you know, it wasn't his fault. He didn't know. Um, but yeah, like if you got to leave your phone out somewhere, text me and just let me know. that. <laughs> you know? So yeah, it, it, and I think that was why I like was avoiding the news because anything that I saw about anything going on over there, it was like, Oh, you know, it just like, it made everything like heightened and worse. And, um, for me, I just couldn't, I just couldn't go there. Not when I like, needed to be focusing on my kids. Absolutely. Well, and I think, you know, you bring up this piece of that the boundary or the line between like, you you know, there's things to be concerned about. So your intellectual rational mind is like, well, there are, are reasons to be concerned. And then there's like, as you were saying, you know, it used to be, I mean, I think about like what it must have been like for, for people whose loved ones were in the military, like, you know, Vietnam War, where it's like, they had airmail by that point in time. But like every, you know, sort of like every kind of, the technology just going back, it's like, 
if you got a, you know, like if you're talking like maybe World War Two, it's like, I mean, who knows how frequently somebody like if she got a, if a woman got a, a, a letter once a month, maybe that would be like something really special. But now, like you said, now because they can have phones with them and they can text, there's that way that you're very used to that person being in direct communication. So you don't necessarily have that same ability to be like, you can't just breathe like, oh, okay, they're busy doing their thing. But I think it's a fascinating thing about that line between what's like, what's just my understandable anxiousness and what's my premonition or sense that there is actually something going wrong. And so, um, and I, and in your case, it sounds like most of the time it was just circumstantial where, you know, there wasn't anything going wrong for him, but it felt, you know, just because you didn't have the data or the information, it felt really hard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And, you know, and I think, I think I also really tried to not let myself go there because of my, my mom's, my mom's experience. My mom, when she was, before she ever met my dad, she was young. I think she was 23. She was engaged to a man who was in the army and he, um, he was in a helicopter crash and, and he died. And, um, that night that he died, she woke up and she was hysterical crying and, um, ended up sleeping in her mother's bed because she was so upset and then found out the next morning that he had had that accident and that he had passed. And so, mm. I'm just getting chills as yeah. you're telling me the story. Yeah. What a story. Yeah. And so I think just having that, knowing that story in the back of my head and uh, and stuff, I think I'd always would just tell myself, like, it's anxiety, it's anxiety, you know, like, <laughs> like, it's not real. Like, I think that was also a coping me- mechanism for me. Like, I wouldn't allow myself to think like the way that I was feeling was happening for any other reason than the fact that I was just really anxious about the whole situation. Right, right. Well, and it's striking how often we will carry, like trauma will sort of repeat itself in generations, you know, that there is that Mark Wolin's book, um, It Didn't Start With Me, and the idea of inherited family trauma, and how we will recapitulate things that, that are really intense. So it's interesting that you sort of are in some ways really having an opportunity to resolve and reconcile this wound that your mother experienced. And it'd be really interesting looking at your family line, like how many times has this experience affected women in probably more likely women than men, but you know, women in your ancestral line that of, of that sort of tragic loss. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah. To examine yeah. more closely. Yeah. Cause I, I yeah. mean, I completely agree. Yeah, a lot of, this, a lot of this stuff is passed down and sometimes we're not aware of it. Not <laughs> we're aware of it. Cycles. Yeah. Well, and it also really makes sense with, with what your, you know, your mother's story adds a level of like, it's sort of like you're talking like turbocharging your experience of it. If you, if your mother had not had this experience, I can imagine you still would have had very understandable anxiousness and concern and worry with your, you know, having a spouse in the military. But the fact that your mother experienced that really, really, really intense traumatic event at a very, probably at a very um, 
for in at a formative point in her in her development and you know it just seems like oh of course this is an amplified wound that's already going to be making this extra challenging yeah I'm really struck by, as we're having this conversation about how, what could have been the absolute worst time in your life and one of the most challenging times in your life, instead of just sort of sitting in the lemon juice and complaining about how sour it was, you really did decide to do something different. And in many ways, it sounds like this is really kind of like if we had an origin story, like this is the pivot for you. This is the point where you went, I'm going to do something different. Oh, yeah. It, it changed my life. I mean, I never would have thought that I would be doing the work that I'm doing now. You know, it completely changed my career. And um, and I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that I listened to that that nudge, that soul nudge to sign up for that class and then I just continued to do so. And I think that that's not necessarily something that I that I had done very well in the past. You know, I, I would often analyze things to death before making a decision as opposed to just like listening, listening to my gut and doing that. And um, yeah, whatever that was that day that made me that made me sign up. And then I just continued to listen to that voice. And I think that Tapping is a tool that helps me to to get more connected with myself too, so that I, I can have that clarity on on decision making. Absolutely. Well, and I know that there are people who don't necessarily identify as being particularly intuitive who talk about after using EFT for a while how much better their intuition is. And so I think that for those of us who are already very intuitive and sensitive, it's an incredible tool because it really helps us to discern and clarify and sort of distinguish between what's our awfulizing and anxiety and what is like a, a real feeling. And uh, not that anxiety isn't a real feeling, but, you know, uh, coming from a, a le- uh, coming from an actual sort of like, there's a reason we feel this way versus we're just imagining that there's a reason we feel this way. Yeah. But, you know, so much I awareness, think- that's really, I mean, it just brings so much awareness to whatever it is that, that we're experiencing and it, and it uncovers things that you didn't necessarily know were there. And, um, and then that gives you the opportunity to heal them, to like hold space for these things that you didn't know were there. Exactly. Exactly. So um, you talked about you talked about starting with yoga and then sort of being led from yoga to Reiki and then led to a coaching program that included some tapping and discovering that. Now I know because I met you in an EFT training that you are you are certainly like that was probably the tip of the iceberg for you because you've you've certainly have gone on with learning more about tapping since that coaching program. Yeah, yeah. and so that coaching program was great. It, it turned out that that coach was um, she was pregnant at the time, and so for her maternity leave, she wanted to bring in other coaches to um, to, to to you know take up the space so that she could take time off. And so when she brought this woman in um, to talk about tapping, I was very skeptical. You know, I was like, and, that, and this was after I'd been you know exposed to Reiki, and but still, I was like, I was super skeptical about it, um, and we did a group tapping session and I found myself feeling calmer and I was like, huh, that's really weird. Like I it actually worked. So I kept, I kept uh, doing it myself. And then I had some, um, 
I had some sessions and, um, for me, when I was experiencing anxiety and stress, my TMJ would flare up really bad. And so having a session where I was able to identify all this anger that I was holding onto in my jaw and then being able to relieve, release some of that and feeling a noticeable difference in the sensation in my jaw and the pain in my jaw was like, blew my mind. That is what really like tipped the iceberg of like, oh yeah, I got to keep studying this. This is some cool stuff. Yeah. So Lauren, I wanted to kind of circle back around for a second to a comment you had just made about how you used to be really analytical and you used to really overthink things. And then sort of this point in your life where suddenly like you have these two small people that you have to take care of. Your husband is not even in the country, you're in a brand new city. And suddenly you're kind of in a position where you kind of have to change things. I love how a piece of this was that you really decided to approach your life in a really different way, in that you started to trust your gut and do what you were guided to do, as opposed to the feeling of, um, as opposed to this, like, just kind of continuing to second guess. And that really sounds like, in many ways, you know, like, I don't know, it almost seems to me like yoga, Reiki, EFT, any other tools, those are the tools. But what really seems striking to me is like you making the decision to put your self care first, you making the decision to follow your gut and your instinct as opposed to overthinking it. And you really like basically saying like, this is landing on me and I need to do something about this. Yeah. I mean, I think go again, going back to childhood, it was this, this need to, to people please, to make sure that everybody else was happy and to, to put them first and their, their happiness first. And I, um, yeah, and I, I don't know if there was like a particular moment or if it was just like, well, you know, I know that I, it was just this awareness, I guess, that I knew that I had to take care of myself and that I wasn't going to be able to take care of my kids without taking care of myself and feeling like, all right, well, it's just me here now. So I got to make, I got to make some decisions and I got to do what's, what's best for me. And, um, thank goodness that that, that kind of came to be because I feel like without these, these tools to help me learn how to feel better and feel calmer, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know where I would have been without them. Um, and it's made, it's made all the difference and it's, and it's fun, right? It's fun to explore all of these different modalities to be able to really, you know, put my energy into things that light me up and learning about things that not only feel good, but you know, interest me. And, um, and then in turn, I can share them with other people too. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, something you just, something you just said that made me, I was just thinking about like, the sort of the challenge of being, even though as a highly sensitive empathic person, we often have really good intuition and we often really have a very strong sense of like, kind of like we can feel the positive energy and the negative energy and we can kind of feel which direction we should be going in. But 
the fact that we are so often being told from the time we are very, very, very little that we're, you know, that we're overreacting, that we're being too sensitive, that we're taking it too personally, that we're making too much a big deal out of it, that we've got an overactive imagination, that we're making stuff up. And then also the tendency to want to people please. It's like, even though we have these abilities, it seems like it's very, very easy to try to, to kind of second guess ourselves and doubt that intuition. And I really hear that you were at a point where it was kind of like you, you didn't have a choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I needed to, I needed to listen. I needed to listen. And I think when I had my first ever Reiki session too, spirit came through and I was feeling all sorts of things and like hearing things and the uh, Reiki practitioner was validating all of these, all of these things. I was like, something is happening right now, you know? Um, and so it was, it was just clear to me that I was on the right path and that I needed to just continue to trust and, um, and to listen to myself and, that's a beautiful thing. We all need to, we all need to do that because I, I am always saying we all have the answers within, we all know what it is that we need. And sometimes it's just so, um, covered up or so deep down there. It's, you need a little help accessing it. And, and these are tools that can help you do that. Absolutely. So actually speaking of tools, let's talk about like some of your, you know, if you, if you were giving advice to a a, a person whose spouse had just deployed and was in that stage prior to where you are now, like, what would you, what would you recommend? What would you suggest to them? Well, I would say, make sure that you're making time for yourself. Um, especially, you know, as a, as a mom, taking that, taking that time for yourself, even if it's a couple of minutes at the end of the day or the beginning of the day, you know, it's very easy to make excuses and, um, you know, feel like you're, you're, it's too busy. You don't have enough time to sit and really quiet your mind. Or you're one of those people that say that, you know, they can't turn their mind off. You know, those are the people that need, <laughs> that need to meditate the most. Right. Um, but just finding something that is for you, whether that's going for a walk, whether that's just sitting with your cup of tea outside and enjoying the sun or journaling or doing some yoga, whatever it is, making time for yourself, making that a priority. That would be absolutely. You know, my, my I was, I was interviewing my friend Britt Bolnick the other day and, um, which this, her, her, uh, show had aired a, a, a couple weeks earlier, but, um, Brit, Brit and I were talking about how even if it's like literally stealing one minute in the bathroom with a candle, like we just have to start it somewhere. And so I love that. This is a message that I hear in various ways from a lot of different guests is we must take time for ourselves. Like it's like you have to make that self-care a priority. Um, you know, and I, we've all heard that, you know, you got to put your own oxygen mask on first. And because, that's the truth. It, yeah. is, it is really, really the truth because you can't pour from an empty cup, right? No, we can't pour from an empty cup. And when you've got, you know, a five-year-old and a seven-year-old who are relying on you, it's like, it's not just, if your cup is empty, it's not just you that's going to be impacted by that. Yeah. And, and that's another, that's another thing is that if you can't do it for yourself, 
do it for your kids, do it for your do it for your loved ones, because they will reap the reward from you taking that time for yourself. And then that can sometimes be I feel like a hard thing for people to wrap their head around. But it is true, right? Because if you take that, if you take that five, 10 minutes in the morning to just sit and be, when your kid does something and, you know, the cereal's all over the floor and, you know, your normal reaction is to get all flustered because you're rushing because you're trying to get them on the bus or whatever, maybe you can laugh about it or maybe you can clean it up together or you can approach it in a different, in a different way. And it, it really makes all the difference. I am a hundred percent proof of that because, you know, in, in the beginning, yeah, I did find myself, you know, before I started doing all of these things, snapping at my kids. And when I realized that it's like, okay, this is not the kind of mom I want to be. I don't want to be, I don't want to be irritable and upset and yelling and any of that, you know, I want to have a calm, calm place <laughs> to live and I want them to feel safe. And um, yeah, so that's what, that's what was a driving factor for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and um, you were, you know, I was just thinking about, you know, another reason I, I completely agree. If you can't do it for yourself, do it for your loved ones. Like, you know, which is like the ultimate codependent hack, you know, <laughs> it's because it's like, take care of yourself so that other people will feel better, you know? But I think that the thing is that so often, you know, empaths, empaths tend to give birth to empaths like it's very very common that if you're going to be a highly sensitive person then your children are also highly sensitive and so from that standpoint it's like I was thinking as you were talking about how you had that experience of waking up with the panic attack and you know and your daughter is standing at the door and I'm like of course she's standing at the door you've got this super highly sensitive child who's feeling her mother's distress and is probably experiencing her own distress. And it's sort of like, she's just, you know, gravitating towards you. And also, as empaths are known to do, we want to fix things, we want to make people feel better, we want to help them. So even from that standpoint of like, uh, uh, you know, it's, it not only do our loved ones benefit from us taking care of ourselves, but I would even say the other side of it is that if we do not take care of ourselves, our loved ones are deeply affected in a neg negative way by this. And so it's not just that like we just keep on keeping on in a stressed out way. It's like if we keep on keeping on in a stressed out way, we are passing that stress and that anxiety and all those other challenging emotions onto our children or, you know, whoever our loved ones are that are around us. Yeah, no, that's so true. And my daughter is very, very sensitive and empathic and, and so is my son. And, and, and I know that, you know, they, they feel what I feel. And I'm, you know, I have, um, and I know that, that we do have a safe, a safe, calm environment here, you know, and I know that like when we go to friends' houses, right, where that's not the case, where it's very loud and they yell and that's just how they communicate, like my kids, I can see how uncomfortable they get because that's not what they are used to. And, um, and they've even said something to me about it, you know, after leaving that environment, like, oh, I'm glad we don't yell like that, you know, and it, it, it does. Um, it does impact them more than you more than you realize for sure. Yeah, yeah. 
And that just is such a reason for why we need to do this work. So you were talking about just like really the bottom line basics of just like carving out time and space for yourself. So let's just to say, so, okay, so we're carving out some time and space for ourselves and we are noticing that we are kind of like sliding into a skid of, you know, of awfulizing and anxiety. What are your go-to tools? Like, what do you like, like in that moment where it's like, it's not like you're going to call an EFT practitioner, or you're going to go get a Reiki session, but like you are just in it. What, like, what's your personal, like this, like, if you had a, like, this is the thing that I really love to use, what would it be? Yeah, I, I like to go into what I call my little medita- meditation station area, which is like up in my walk-in closet. And um, I'll usually grab hold of a crystal and I will just do some deep breathing. And, um, and sometimes that it does involve just like holding one of the points and doing, and doing some deep breathing, um, to really try and regulate, regulate my nervous system and feel, feel a little bit calmer. And then from, from that place, sometimes journaling can be really helpful, getting, getting out the things that, that, um, I've got in my head or tapping out loud just by myself and saying, saying how I feel. I think any way of, of, um, you know, moving it out. And then the other thing, sometimes, I guess it also depends like on the situation, right? Cause sometimes it's, um, turning on some music and just dancing and moving it. So, I mean, the goal is always to just move the energy and, um, and figuring out like what in the moment is going to be easiest for me to do. And Yeah. But yeah, going to my little meditation station, clo- closing the door, holding my crystal and doing some breathing is usually the go-to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I noticed as you were saying that you'll hold a point, it looked like you were, I call it hugging the gamut point. Yes. Uh-huh. yes. Yeah. And so for those of you who have never seen this, the gamut point is also known as the triple warmer in um, acupuncture. And it is the sort of the groove between your ring finger and your pinky finger. And so what I, and, and it looks like you were doing the same thing where it's like you're wrap your your index finger your middle finger and your ring finger sort of around your hand and just kind of push it into the groove between you know sort of in the groove between the tendons of the of the of the ring finger and the pinky finger and just breathing that's actually one of my personal go-tos and favorites i've actually um, gotten through quite a bit of dental work and even a colonoscopy not on versed because of this particular point so uh, I'm a big fan of this particular point. Yeah, it's so, my favorite. It's definitely my yeah, favorite point. It, I love it too. It really is one of my favorites as well. Um, and so what I'm hearing you saying is like, obviously the circumstances really depend on what you're needing, whether it's like you just want to kick out the jams with some good music or you are, you know, you need to, you're like, you need to get clear and you do need to do some writing. But that the first thing it sounds like you generally do is just sort of remove yourself from all of the ordinary things and take a moment to kind of do almost like a pattern interrupt by going up into your meditation closet, grabbing a crystal, and then just taking a little bit of time to do some deep breathing and holding and holding a favorite EFT point. Yes, no, that's exactly right. It just makes me think the other day, um, the dog, we have a puppy and the puppy, the kids were supposed to be watching the puppy 
and they weren't really watching him. And then he needed to go out and they, whatever, weren't onto his signals or whatever. And the dog peed on the couch and they just called me and I came out and I like, you know, not, I, you know, I'm not proud of it. Right. We all have our moments, but I kind of like lost it. <laughs> um, and I was like, and I realized it. So then there was awareness like, okay, I'm like freaking out right now. I need, I can't clean this up right now. I need to take, I need to take a moment. You guys take the dog outstairs outside. I am going to take a moment, <laughs> you know, and that's what I did. And sometimes, you know, we just need to do that. Like we're not, we're human. We're going to have things come up. We're gonna, we're emotional beings. The emotion is going to come out, but acknowledge it. And do what you need to do so that, you know, you're not screaming like a lunatic. <laughs> right, right, right. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there is, I will, I will say there is something about uh, dog pee <laughs> that is really triggering. And um, when we adopted Lilu back in, in January this year, she had just gotten spayed and she was peeing everywhere all the time. So we ended up getting um, quilted, peep, like washable, massive, like bedspread size pee pads and put them over the couch (laughs) because there was just no, you know, it was kind of like, uh, this is, you know, uh, like you pick your battles, but I, my, my heart goes out to you because that there is nothing that sets me off, like, and make me feel more up ended than like then somebody deciding to pee on the furniture <laughs> yes. yeah. it set me off for sure oh yeah oh yeah oh. it's stressful mm-hmm. yeah so i love that you noticed like that you even just the fact that you could recognize that you were feeling distress and that you were that you were feeling distress and that you were that you knew you needed a timeout that you just had to take some space for yourself as opposed to being, you know, like just kind of like, I don't know, just reacting and going on. Like you were just like, wait a second. Okay. I'm not, I'm not in my right mind right now. I need to do something different. And you know what? And then circling back to the kids, like the kids see that and then they recognize that. And so when something, I don't don't remember what the situation was, but something happened with my daughter and she was like, I need to take a minute, right? Like, so she started, she was like advocating for, she's like, I can't talk about this right now. I need to take a minute. And I was like, oh, okay, go ahead. Right. Um, and I was like, and that I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like she sees that I've done that. And now she's, you know, she's doing that for herself. And so they, they pick up on things. They do pick up on things. And I love that you're, you know, this is one of the benefits of if, if you're, if you're questioning whether you should put yourself first or make self care a priority for yourself, this is one of the reasons why it's so incredibly important because we are showing our children and our loved ones how to do this as well. And like, she's not going to have to be, um, somewhere in her like twenties, thirties or forties realizing that she's never advocated for herself. Like she has this tool now. I mean, like how old were you when you figured this one out? I don't even know. I was definitely probably not that long ago, probably within the last 10 years, you know, I mean, and advocating for myself, it was always like, the adult is right. And you don't, you know, like, don't ask questions, like do what you're told kind of thing. And 
it just made me think of like the last time I took my daughter to the doctor, she was sick and they wanted to test her for COVID and, um, you know, they want to put the thing up, up the nose. And then also the other one, like to test her for strep to put the thing down, like back in their throat. And she, the, the lady, the nurse was coming over to let, to do it. And she said, can I do it myself? And I was like, look at that. She's advocating for herself. She didn't want somebody else sticking it up her nose. And the nurse was like, oh yeah, no problem. You know? And so she did. And then the same thing with the strep test, she did it herself. And, Um, and when we left there, I said to her, you know, I am so proud of you. Like you really stood up for what you wanted and you were able to say what you wanted and advocate for yourself. And that, like, that, it was a proud mom moment for Mm -hmm. me, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, and, and that's what, that's what I want my kids to be able to do, to say what they need, to voice their opinion, to speak their, to speak their truth. And I think doing all this work myself has helped them to step into their, their power too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, do you, have you ever been living on a military base or have you, do you have much to do with sort of other, like the larger military community or other military wives? So we never did live on base. We always lived off base. Um, We were, we were stationed out in San Diego for five years, which was really nice. Um, But yeah, we always lived off base. And then we moved to Virginia um, and he went into the reserves and then he went back on active duty uh, while we were there for a short period of time. Then we moved to Delaware. So we never, um, we never lived on base, but I mean, I was on base quite a bit um, and um, had some friends that lived on base and um, yeah. 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 The reason I was asking was I was just thinking about, I was wondering if you've ever, um, taught or shared EFT with some of the other military wives? I haven't shared it with the wives. I did last year, I did a, um, an EFT workshop for all of the chaplains on base here in Dover, Delaware, which was really cool. And they were, you know, mostly men and, um, and they were really open to it. And it was a, it was a great, it was a great experience. Yeah. And then I'm, I'm part of some networking groups with, um, with military spouses and have done some events up some, um, always invite military spouses to my events. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, and I mean, this is a whole other rabbit hole, but there's like, I mean, thankfully there's more and more information about how effective EFT is for military personnel with PTSD and just like what a life changing and life saving tool this can be for people in the military. So I'm excited that we have, you know, like, like, like you're sort of like a special agent, you know, <laughs> EFT practitioner kind of in the military, you know, sort of connected to the military, bringing that, bringing that medicine to a place that really needs it. Definitely. I know those, I love, I love referring to those studies too, about that have been done on for veterans who were experiencing PTSD and how it's really shifted things and how it's, there's no harm in trying it, you know, like that's what I always say. Yeah. And maybe it sounds out there to you or it sounds a little weird, but if, and I feel like a lot of my clients come to me when they're at a point, they've tried all these other things, then they, hear something about EFT or somebody tells them about EFT or they've watched a documentary and they're like, all right, I'm going to try it for this thing that I've got going on. Let's see what happens. And there's no harm in trying it. No harm in trying it. I mean, you were talking earlier about for you, it was sort of like you were skeptical. I wasn't necessarily skeptical about it as much as I was vain. And I didn't want to look weird. Like, 
It is. And the thing is, anybody who's like, oh, no, no, it's not weird. It is weird. It is (laughs) weird. There's no getting around that. It's like you're tapping on your face and your head and your torso and you're and at first and you're saying these kind of like really kind of hokey things in a very formulaic way. It is it is there is a way that it can feel really weird and clunky when you first start doing it. And I know for me, that was the thing I had to get over was just the fact that it felt a little weird to do it. But I'm so glad that I I did and that I tried it because, you know, like you, it was absolutely life changing. Yeah. Yeah. I always, <laughs> I'll always say, you know, that's why I'll, I'll share the finger points with people. Right. So like if they're out in public, they don't want to be like tapping themselves on the head and have people look at them like, what's that weirdo doing? Like <laughs> you can be a little bit more discreet and use those finger points. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, um, do you want to share, um, share the finger points? Yeah, sure. So I will always just tell people um, to squeeze at the bottom of the of the bed of the nail on every single on every single finger. And I always like and this is a great one that I do like to share with my kids. And I've done a few tapping uh, workshops at the schools here locally. And I like to share these points because when you're squeezing at the bed of the nail, like I said, on every every nail, just kind of moving from finger to finger. um, you can just put your hands onto your desk. So whether you're at work and you're in a board meeting or you're at school and you're nervous about a task, like put your hands under the table, under the desk and just squeeze the points and do some deep breathing. And, you know, it's going to help to reduce the amount of cortisol that's pumping to, through the body. And that, of course, is the stress hormone. So it helps to calm you down and um, helps you to feel feel better. That's what it's all about. All this work is about feeling better. And so feeling better, exactly. your fingers and doing some deep breathing can help you to feel better. When you're like starting to have anxiety or something. Hey, we we can't hurt to try it. Can't hurt to try it. Yeah, it's such an important thing. So Lauren, I can't believe how fast this time has gone by. We've got like, um, you know, like we're at like, the nearly the top of the hour. Is there anything else that you're like, like, just feels like really important to share? I would just say the most important thing is to really listen to your gut, trust yourself, know that the answers are all within you. And, um, and if you need help accessing them, ask for that help, you know, and, and you deserve to feel good and you deserve to figure out what's going to help you to feel good and um, go for it. Explore well, and it. I really, I really love how it feels to me like in some ways, the theme of this particular episode has very much been about listen to your gut, like trust yourself and go with that still small voice and that urge within you instead of second guessing yourself or trying to people please or trying to like, you know, even like sort of rationalize it, but just really like say yes to what to the wisdom within you. Right, exactly. And when and when you're getting a thought repeatedly that continues to come up and you know, that thought is not coming up for you to ignore it. The thought is coming up for you to explore it. So so give yourself that gift and allow yourself to to explore these things that that you're interested in and the thoughts that are coming up and um, you deserve that. Awesome. Lauren, thank you so much for being with us today. This is really you. Been a this was so fun. Thanks so much, Jen. Yeah. So how do people get in touch with you? 
Yeah. So I, um, you can find me on my website, which is mindshiftwithlauren.com. And then uh, for those that are interested in learning more about EFT, I do have a free masterclass on my website, which is mindshiftwithlauren.com forward slash masterclass. Excellent. And we will have all of that information in the show notes as well, you guys. So Lauren, thank you so much for being here today. It really has been a delight. And I'm so glad I got to hear part of your story. You know, it's like, it's one thing to be in a class and hear, you know, people asking questions and stuff like that. But it's really a delight to hear to hear your story. Yeah, it was an honor to have this conversation with you today. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thank you. As we come to the end of this episode, I'd love to hear what you're taking from this show. Please jump over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com to leave your comments. In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm. And while you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then join me again when the next Empathic Mastery Show airs. Okay, one last time. Hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your empathic safety guide. And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. So please don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.